everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tales from a Vet Tech with me, Tabitha Kusera. Today, we are talking to Dr. Megan Breelove for another Mental Health Matters episode. The holidays can be really challenging for many of us. So what better time to talk about how to find a therapist, some common red flag with finding a therapist and more with Dr. Breedlove. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for being here to talk about when it comes to finding a mental health professional or when you're struggling with a mental health issue, where to start to ask to get help, but also how to find a therapist that's right for you and what does that look like? Hi, thank you. <laughs> nice to see you again. Yay, Mental Health Matters with Megan. Boop, boop, boop. You guys, I need to come up with like a cool song, cooler than what I just did. Uh, <laughs> but we will do that in the future. But me and Megan have talked about this in the past when I've shared some of my mental health struggles and Megan is, we've discussed mental health stuff. Uh, we talked a little bit about how finding a therapist can be really challenging, especially when you're in a crisis. And I shared my personal experience of when I was in a crisis, the difficulty of just Googling <laughs> was very challenging, but also being like, okay, I would never just Google a dog trainer. Uh, so the fact that I was like, I'll just Google a therapist. I was like, that makes no sense. And that's when I asked Megan and a few of my other friends and did some research of my own on, you know, how do you find a therapist that's a good fit? And thankfully, I now have a therapist I love and we are a beautiful fit, but uh, there were a lot of bumps and <laughs> challenges uh, to finding that fit. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. And I think that there are just so many steps that have to happen in order for you to get in the door to therapy, like to be physically in that room or to be now virtually. Um, you know, that's, I think, where a lot of therapy has kind of opened up to that realm a lot recently with COVID and everything. Um, but I think there's just a lot of things that that have to happen to kind of get you to be there um, physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, and it's not, it's not easy. It's, it's for a lot of people, it's hard to kind of make all of those steps. Like you were saying, even just starting that process of Googling or looking up places was a hard thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just important to recognize that it takes time and it might not be something that people just jump into immediately. And they're like, I'm ready to start therapy today. Maybe today I want to start looking at therapists and just maybe just start Googling. I don't know. Um, and, and that's okay. Because it takes a it takes a while. Yeah, and I think I love uh, mental health professionals, and I am a huge advocate for therapy. But <laughs> there's a lot of things that affect that. Like personally, I've had some really negative experiences with mental health professionals as a teenager, which reflecting uh, probably contributed to my delay in finding a mental health professional, even as a mental health advocate myself. And also, whoa, are there a fuckload of challenges, <laughs> uh, whether we're talking financial or mental, physical, um, having the time, getting the time away from work and your family. There's, there's a lot. It's not as simple as saying, hey, you should see a therapist. Not that, 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 that that's not helpful advice, um, but I, I think it's kind of like Megan said, it, there's a lot of challenges. And on that segue, when it comes to someone, whether they want to be preventative, which let's be honest, guys, humans are reactive, but still, um, let's say that they are seeking out a mental health professional or they're struggling. Where would you recommend a few places to kind of get started when it comes to just maybe identifying that you're struggling and possibly maybe having that lead to finding a therapist? So that's a good question. 
what I would say is maybe like opening up to some of those people in your life that you feel comfortable with already and that you have established relationships with, um, maybe talking a little bit with them about kind of what you're thinking or where you're at. That could be kind of maybe like a safe place to start for some people. I know that may not, you know, that may not always be the case for people, but um, that could be a place to start the conversation. And sometimes getting recommendations from friends too, um, if, if they've ever, you know, if they go to like a private practice that they really like or an agency that they like, you know, sometimes that can can be a way to make it seem less terrifying in a way. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, I one of on my way to find a therapist, I had a, a friend and a colleague who was struggling with similar things as I was refer someone and they were wonderful, but we were not. <laughs> Uh, we were, we're not a good fit and, um, kind of like you were saying, I think as a good starting point, it might just, I'm going to Google therapists today, or I'm going again, reaching out to loved ones, people you trust to say, Hey, I'm kind of struggling with this. Or again, you don't need to be as specific because I understand that these things can be sensitive. And to be fair, your friends and family tend to notice changes, but not always uh, due to a variety of reasons. Um, But I think opening up to the people you love and care about and just having a a support network. And then also like I said it before, I'll say it again, like starting small. I was that person that was like, this is what it should look like this because we're especially in vet med, y'all. We tend to be perfectionists, which I love about us, Uh, but it causes some problems like you don't, it's really hard to be like, I'm going to focus this today. It's more like, I want to find a therapist and start working on cognitive behavioral therapy. And I want, these are my goals. I want to work out. I want to run blah, 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 uh, and set yourself up to fail because that's not, <laughs> even if you weren't having a crisis and not weren't over threshold, that's, that's not a realistic place to start. So once I did find a therapist, but before you find a therapist, I think focusing on one day at a time. I'm going to try to sleep, maybe shower and drink water and fuck yeah, that's sick. This is amazing. <laughs> and recognize that I might not be able to give as much because I'm struggling with an issue right now. Well, and I think, you know, like you bring up a really good point too about the knowing what you need or want from that experience or like kind of coming up with those goals and things. I think that uh, you don't have to always, I mean, everyone comes with different levels. Like some people come and they do have these like really, like they put a lot of thought into what they want their therapeutic experience to look like. Some people come and they're just not sure. Um, And it's totally okay wherever you're at on that spectrum of, you know, if, if you just, want to not feel like this anymore. Um, that's okay. Like, even if you don't know exactly what that looks like, or what, you know, what would be a goal around that, the therapist that you, you know, a good, a good, a really good therapist will help work with you around what does that look like and really dig in and, um, you know, I ide- help you identify like, what are some of those goals that you would have for yourself? And what would you want that to look like? So even if you're in a place where you're like, I just don't want to feel like this anymore, or I need to just feel better. And you're not sure what that really means. That's okay. Um, you don't have to have this really, you know, grand elaborate plan of like what you really need from therapy. So just know that it's okay wherever you're at. No, I think that's a really good point. And when it comes to finding a therapist that's right for you or other mental health professional, because like I said, you know, seven years ago, I would have just Googled it and just wung it and not advocated for myself and probably would have stayed with someone I was uncomfortable with uh, longer than I'd like. Um, And then I got into behavior and I was like, that's weird. I'm not doing that. So I think this was actually based on your recommendation um, because I was struggling and I reached out to my friend, Megan, and she happens to be a mental health professional, but she's also my friend. (laughs) Um, So, and she told me about psychology today, which is a website where she'll get into it more, but essentially you can search for therapists in your area and they describe maybe the types of therapies they offer and other things. So, and I just wrote for me, I just wrote a template email of like three questions because templates a win. Uh, And it just said, hi, blah, blah, blah. And I think I had like three questions and I wasn't drilling them. Uh, It was just something like what types of uh, 
like therapy do you offer like therapy techniques? I can't remember exactly what I asked, but, um, I wrote it out and then I just cut and paste it and sent it to a bunch (laughs) that I felt comfortable with based on their description and appearance. And I know that's, but I'm just being honest. I did look at their appearance and I wanted for me personally, I wanted to talk to a woman. Um, so again, everyone's preference is different, but that's kind of where I started. And that's kind of where I got to where I am. So as far as some tips on how to find a mental health professional, what would you recommend for people, Megan? Yeah. So this is not a paid advertisement for psychology today. I swear. Um, we not. are not sponsored by anything at yeah. Tales from About Tech. <laughs> um, we, we could be, it just depends. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so that seed. Yes. Yes. Um, but I, I do psychology today has from, you know, I, I do think that that is a helpful site. Um, so basically, yeah, on that website, you described it really well. Um, basically therapists kind of put up information. They'll, uh, identify like their background, their specialties, um, in- information about their insurance, which I know is, uh, I think probably the most, one of the most stressful much, things in my yeah. opinion, um, when you're trying to figure out like, do you take my insurance? Um, so that can be a really good place to start. You can look, you know, based on your area and stuff like that. So, uh, I do, for, I find that to be a really, um, a good website overall for if you're, especially if you're looking for maybe someone that uses a specific, like approach or modality or something like that, like that's a good, you can, you can really find people with all different backgrounds on psychology today in your area, which is really cool. Um, and also with the expansion of more virtual options, um, sometimes it expands it to the whole state where you could see someone, you know, that maybe isn't locally, maybe 10 minutes down the street from you, but they are in the same state and they can practice and see you virtually um, for something that is maybe very specific. So that's really cool. Um, But I'd say that's a good place for if you're looking for that. But I know um, other factors may include like insurance or financial situations. So um, if you're someone where maybe you don't have insurance, um, but you are fine with paying out of pocket, there are um, therapists that do offer services on a sliding fee scale. So they'll basically look at how much you make and they'll determine, um, you know, a certain set amount that you would pay per session. I worked at a place uh, out in Arizona that was that did sliding fee scale. And so it would be, we would get people's income information. And I would have clients that like every session, it would be like $15 is like what they're, they would be expected to pay. Um, And so sliding fee scale is an option. Some people do have like through their employer, um, like employee assistance programs and things like that, where they may have um, maybe like eight or 10 sessions. I feel like it's usually around there, like six to 10 sessions um, that would be covered, uh, you know, by the insurance for mental health services. So that could be a good place to look if you do have insurance and you like your insurance, um, you know, in your workplace and maybe looking a little bit more into the benefits that you have to see if that's something that that you could maybe find a therapist through that experience. Another thing, so if you're someone that you don't have insurance um, or your insurance situation is, you know, kind of up in the air, uh, maybe in between jobs or something. Um, the community, like community mental health clinics, I think that's a really good place to look as well. Just kind of looking at what's in your area. Um, there are a lot of places that at that community level where they will have people that do, well, it'll take like Medicaid, Medicare, like all of the everything. Um like they'll have a whole range of things that they accept. Um, or if you aren't able to pay, like they'll figure they'll, they can help you a lot of times figure out like what, how can, how can someone help you, um, at their agency? So that can be a good option. Um, and then of course, emergency situations. So if it is something where, you know, you are feeling suicidal or you're in, in, in a, you know, kind of in that space, uh, suicide prevention hotlines can be helpful. Um, you know, I think they can a lot of times help link you to services in your area that can be more of that like preventative, uh, more stable, you know, when you when you are in a place where you're feeling more stable, where they can kind of help help you. Um, but the in that emergency situation, the suicide prevention hotlines, I think are always a really important resource. Yeah, I think. And I know a lot of the Thankfully, we're getting more and more because unfortunately, um, this is a very real problem and society is starting to grasp it. I like to focus on the positive. Um, And I know there's a lot of different 
suicide prevention or hotlines where you can even just text because sometimes you don't want to actually talk to someone. But when you're completely over threshold and suffering and struggling, just having someone be there over the phone through a text, like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm speaking from my own experience, but also a lot of my friends' experiences, it can really help in that moment because that is a moment in time, even though that is not how it feels at that time. And we don't want that moment in time to result in, yeah, uh, stuff um, because that time will change and it won't be like that in, you know, maybe 20 minutes or 40 minutes. I'm sure we've all had friends and, and colleagues we've lost or have almost lost and they have shared like immediately after taking the medicate or the pills like they were like fuck you know so again we're getting kind of deep but this is real life uh, so <laughs> i i think having those different options and sometimes sometimes i'll hear people say um like i don't have insurance and i totally understand cuz i didn't have insurance until my middle 30s <laughs> uh not being like so there's nothing. And when you're really struggling, it's even harder. But there are options. And this is where maybe if you're too mentally exhausted, this is where maybe you could reach out to your partner or a friend and they can do the search for you and just give you it. Like there there are ways for our family and friends to support us in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to, let's say, our meeting with a therapist or, or a psychiatrist, and you're trying to decide if you are a good fit because some of us overthink, haha. Uh, and sometimes it can be difficult. Like, is this me? Would it be super? I I don't feel like we're a good fit, but I don't like conflict and I don't want to offend mm-hmm. this person. What would you recommend as far as like some general I don't want to say guidelines, but guidelines to say, is this person a good fit for me? Yeah, no, I think that's a really important thing to be thinking about all the time in therapy, not even just at the very beginning. Um, I think it makes sense in the very beginning to be thinking, is this a good fit for me? But even throughout your work with that person, let's say you've been seeing that person for like two years, um, still asking yourself that question and saying like, is this still working for me? Or is this still a good fit for me? Um, is always a good question to be asking yourself, honestly. Um, but yeah, it is good to, to ask that and to really be thinking about what it feels like. I will say like when you do first start therapy, like the very first session, um, I've worked a couple different places and the intake experience has been wildly different. I've worked places before where um, the intake experience, um, and I personally, this is what I really like, is I had like um, paper in front of me with kind of some general broad topic areas of information I needed to gather, but it was not, it, it was important information, but I wasn't like typing away on a computer or anything. I was able to interact with the person and write a couple little like words and notes. Um, And I always, whenever I meet with people, especially in that first session, like I'd be very upfront with them and let them know, like, I'm going to be writing during this and this is why, and this is, you know, letting them know that I'm, I'm there and I'm listening, but there are going to be times when I have to write something down just because like there is, I do need to get information and remember it. Um, And so that that is something that uh, I I really like that that style of information gathering and an intake. I've also worked places before where it's been all on a computer, like a laptop. I've had a laptop like literally right in front of me, and having to type and go through questions um, and do it that way as well, and having a signature pad and things like that. Um, so very wildly different experiences with intake, um, and just let it like. I'm I'm going on about this because I think it's important to recognize that each agency or, you know, therapist or pr- private practice, everyone kind of has their own ways that they do intake. It's not like all standard, but generally in an intake, you're trying to gather information. Um, you're trying to understand kind of, you know, some of those basic things about the person in front of you, um, trying to get to know them a little bit, you know, wanting to know a little bit about their history, you know, you might be asking things about their medical history, things that, you know, can be uncomfortable uh, in a first session, the first time you're meeting someone, and they're asking you all these questions. So I do want to preface this whole thing by saying, I guess that intakes can just be an uncomfortable experience sometimes. Um, And 
to give it time. Uh, not all therapy sessions look like an intake. Um, the intake is kind of a very unique thing. Just, I think, go, go into that knowing that that first time might be a little uncomfortable just because of that. And uh, it may be hard in that first session to judge, you know, like to get that feeling of like, is this right for me or not? Because it's a lot of questions a lot of times the first session. So giving it a little bit of time to to develop is, I think, important. Sorry, that was a very long way to say. No, that's really, that. <laughs> that is a really good point. So I am a behavior consultant and I have an initial behavior consultation in which I gather more information. We talk about safety and management. Um, and then we have training sessions after. And I always say, you know, I do... And even as vet techs, we do this where I'm gathering information, but I'm mm -hmm. not like, so I'll be like, I know I'm typing on the computer, but I'm just letting you know, I just want to remember everything you say because it's very important, but I, I hear you. And like you said, you kind of just let them know. So it's not like some weird thing in a movie where like, you're like, what is that psychiatrist writing about me right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, like you see in every single movie. And I'm sure we've all, we've all felt that way because that honesty and transparency is already there. And to be fair, if. From my perspective, if I went to a behavior, a behavior, well, they're the same, uh, a mental health professional and they, their, their history taking first appointment was very like five questions. I would be like, this isn't for me because you're not getting enough data mm -hmm. <laughs> for my baseline information. Um, but I, I do think that that's a good point because sometimes, especially when you're already struggling. And I think so many of us by the time due to various reasons. By the time we work with a mental health professional, like you just want to start, start. <laughs> so, but, and sometimes like, Hey, the, Hey, we're going to meet for an hour. And it's just me asking rate one to five based on, I've done this many times, guys, uh, based on how you feel about blank or how often do you feel blank? Um, but I think it, like Megan said, that's, that's, I mean, that's what your mental health professional should be doing, uh, at the first appointment. So when it comes to that first appointment, just have those realistic expectations and don't be like, uh, I mean, obviously, if they do something completely unprofessional, there's always that boundary. Like, I'm not saying that that happens often, but it probably does. Um, but after that initial appointment and kind of being aware that that's what it should look like and the mental health professional is sharing that with you, how would you recommend like finding out or how would you be like, okay, this person is a good fit for me. And if they aren't, what do I do? And what does that look like? Yeah, no. Um, also a very good question. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, going in with kind of those expectations that it, it might take a little bit of time to kind of understand if this is a good fit or kind of what that looks like. It, it takes time for the therapist, you know, and the client to get to know one another and get to know like if they're if they are a good fit, like if they click, um, I think it's really good sometimes to come in with questions, um, like having questions around, uh, like if there's a certain specialty or, uh, if there's like a certain type of therapy that you're looking for, you know, as a client, if you really want to get, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, like that's something of interest to you that you would like in your experience, like, you know, making, having that conversation early and seeing, uh, you know, if it is a good fit, is this something that you are able to do or comfortable with, or is this within your scope of practice? Like having those conversations and getting to know one another in a, in those early sessions is really important. And because I know that some of those pieces you might not know upfront, like you might not know yet if your communication styles like sync up, you know, or I mean, I tend to early on in therapy, I think usually in my first or second session with people, I tend to ask things around their previous experiences with, with counseling, like if they've ever been before, um, just because sometimes I really like to hear about if there's something that's really worked well for them with a previous therapist, like or, you know, like, what, what was that? Like, what did you really enjoy about your last therapy, like experience? And, you know, what is what is something you'd want to carry, you know, from that into this experience, or maybe like what on the other side, what's something if you did have a therapy experience that wasn't so positive? What was that? And getting to know a little bit of that person's experience, I think is super helpful. Because then, like, I've had people before where I've heard that they've had therapists that they 
were never, um, maybe they were like too direct with them or they weren't direct enough. Um, I feel like that tends to be a, a thing I've heard is that their therapist like would never like be, they would, they felt like they were never really getting anywhere. Like they were just kind of just talking and that they didn't feel like there was anything happening from that, or they were never being like asked things that they would have wanted to be asked. And then I've also heard people on the other side say like their therapist sometimes would be like too direct or yeah. too like on them. So, you know, I think it's it's good to get a sense of kind of people's experiences and what what has or has not worked for them in the past. Or if you're completely new to therapy and this is maybe your first time, that's okay too. Uh, and because you might, I mean, you might not know like what works for you or what doesn't work for you in that. And it's okay to figure that out as you go. But having a therapist that wants to hear your perspective and your experience, that matters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so let's say you are uncomfortable with your therapist or what would you, again, these are just general guidelines. Context mm -hmm. is important, but some common red flags that you feel like, cause it's in every field y'all, no one's perfect. Oh, yeah. Um, and like I said, it, it might not even be personal thing. It might just be that you're not a good fit, but what types of things that would you consider a red flag where you're like, Hmm, this isn't just you. Uh, you're not being challenging or difficult. And that tends not to be the case in, in these things in general. But um, what are some just general red flags when it comes to finding a mental health professional? Yeah. So one thing that I think is really important in therapy is to have identified goals. Having a treatment plan is important. Um, so if you are, you know, 10 sessions deep and you haven't talked about goals, um, or you haven't talked about progress or what that would look like. And how would you know if you are progressing? Um, if you haven't had those conversations, um, I think that that's probably a pretty big red flag of what if, if this time is not being directed in some way, or there's not some kind of goal that we're working towards. I think that that I think that's really important. And if your therapist hasn't brought that up with you or asked those questions about you know, what are some of those goals or things that you want out of this experience and what that would look like, um, then what are you doing there? Like you need right. to kind of, you need to kind of have those, those conversations. So that's important. Also, I, this is a big one. So if you have a therapist that talks more about themselves um, and read your, you know, kind of finds a way to always make something about them or you know, directs away from you. That's huge. Um, you being in therapy is about you um, and your experience and self-disclosure with therapists. Like it's, it's really good to connect with, with your clients. Like that's a great thing. And on occasion that can look like self-disclosure um, or can, you know, giving something from your own personal life that, that connects with that client. Um, that can be a really powerful experience in therapy, but I think, if you have a therapist that is always kind of bringing it back to them and yeah, that's just not what therapy is for. Um, and so that's definitely a red flag on, and same kind of along those same lines. If you have a therapist, that's kind of, that wants to be like your friend and hang out with you. Um, <laughs> that's also, I mean, yeah, th that's not, it's, it's not professional. So, um, that would be something I would definitely be, uh, concerned about. And, you know, it's, it's, it'd be cool to have your therapist, like want to hang out with you. Like, that's awesome, but we can't. Um, and, you know, I, I love my clients. I've had such good clients and there are times where I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to be friends with these people. But, you know, I know professionally that that's not appropriate. Um, and so if you ever have a therapist that's trying to like hang out with you after hours and, you know, meet up with you in some way, that's not, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. Um, let's see. Other ones. Oh, also, if you ever feel like judged or shamed in any kind of way, um, I think that's huge because therapists are trained to have unconditional positive regard for their clients. So they are, you know, to respect your clients. And if you ever have, you know, situations where you feel like your therapist is judging you or making you feel bad, um, I, you know, I think that that's, that's not productive. And that's, that's, you don't really want to have, you know, that, that person be judgmental. That's, that's really not what we're here for. Yeah. And I know you were mentioning 
also, if you're just generally uncomfortable before we started recording, like, because again, it, it's, it may just be, I don't feel comfortable. Like we're three to four sessions in. And again, it's not anything negative against this person. It's just, I don't feel comfortable in this space um, or comfortable talking to this person, whether you feel judged or shamed or, or again, just not comfortable. That's okay. And I, I, guys, I've had, I've been through a lot of, <laughs> uh, I have an amazing therapist. She left her practice. Um, and the practice, I don't know why practices do this because I see it happen in vet med too. And I don't understand it. Um, didn't tell me where she went, uh, and won it. So I saw one of theirs cause I was, you know, spent a bunch of money on a whole new console, even though I already had an established relationship with, a. Uh, very frustrating. And uh, she's very nice. Spent a bunch of money to have a freaking intro thing. Saw her one more time. Again, very, very nice, but not a good fit. So I then tried a few other. I tried some online. It's a whole nother thing. I tried some online therapy and I'm in my personally, my experience was not good. Um, Everyone's is different. I love that it's more accessible and but the one that I tried, I went through two or three and they were all very, very negative experiences. Um, so then I was like, I told my partner, I was like, I have to find my old therapist. <laughs> um, and thankfully, uh, after just some brief Googling, um, I found her and I have to travel a good amount to see her. But we're a good fit. Uh, I was seeing her for like a year and a half before she left her practice. So um Again, and and when it can't when it came to not again those therapists that weren't a good fit for me, I just shared. I'll be honest, some of them I just didn't respond to because I'm just gonna be honest with y'all. Uh, and then some of them I just said, "Thank you so much for your time." Uh, I'm I I've recently saw a therapist that I really connected with. I'm gonna stick with her. Um, but what other suggestions if someone does? Because conflict, you know, and people with anxiety. Let's be honest, conflict is hard mm -hmm. uh, for lots of people. Um, if you feel like you aren't a good fit with your mental health professional, how would you recommend handling that? Cause that can look different, of course. Yeah, no, I think, well, I mean, I, I love the answer of like having the conversation. Like, I, I think that's great. Um, but I know that that's intimidating. Like that's see it's, it can be really hard to tell. It's like you're breaking up with someone, right? Like it's hard to say, uh, I don't want to see you anymore. Um, and so I think, you know, just it kind of depends on where you're at with that. I think a lot of times the way this tends to happen is people just stop showing up to appointments or, you know, that they'll say that, you know, things got busy or they'll find ways to kind of navigate away from that, um, which is fine if that's like, if, if that's more comfortable for you, like rather than having the conversation, um, I mean, it's, it's okay. Like you shouldn't have to go to do therapy if, if you don't want to be there and you know, it's, it's not productive, right. If to go, if you are forcing yourself to go there. And so if you're just ever in that position and you just aren't comfortable with your therapist, you don't want to be going anymore. Um, that's always an option, but I really do love the idea of being able to have a conversation about it and letting them know just like that maybe you're looking for something that's different or, you know, you're looking for a different experience or maybe a different, you know, maybe a specific approach. Like I've had people before that have, that have been interested in a different type of therapy that I am not able to provide because it requires special um, certifications or things like that. So, I mean, it, it happens where people just, it doesn't, it's not a good fit and that's okay. Uh, but having the conversations hard, I know. Um, but it's worth considering, um, you know, kind of where you're at with it. But and I think the the important takeaway is you shouldn't stick with that person. And yeah. it's not personal. Um, again, it's like I just compare it to my job uh, as a veterinary technician in general practice or a behavior consultant. Um, it may be they, for example, we refer a lot of clients out. If a, if I'm concerned, I refer my clients to veterinary behaviorists sometimes because they can prescribe and diagnose. And I am concerned about things that I'm seeing. And I share those observations with the VB, um, but they are needed. It's a team effort or in vet med where we, none of us can do everything. And we're seeing a like a escalation of a disease process. So we, I mean, we should be, uh, we did what we could and we're referring them to a specialist that 
that specializes in that. So mm-hmm. again, I think it's hard. Um, for me now, I've I've gotten really good at advocating for myself. Um, so again, like especially now that I have such a great relationship with the therapist, it, it kind of helps me have that perspective. Like the grass is greener on the other, like, hey, I probably shouldn't have stuck with because I did stick with one. Um, when Megan mentioned like red flags if they make it about them, she was very nice. And we saw each other quite a few times because I, I loved her energy. I loved her. Um, she knew my back because that's what we talk about, guys. Uh, and I have a lot of compassion fatigue and burnout related to my lovely job. So that comes up in therapy. Um, and she s- would casually bring up her partner and the way he treats his dog, uh, which is very triggering for me. Because it's my job and I have to see lots of sad things that I have to respond compassionately to. Um, And she knows that because we were like seven sessions in. Um, And she proceeded to tell me some of the horrible things her partner did to the dog. And I helped because I'm a helper because that's how we are. And then I left feeling way shittier (laughs) than I did when I. That's the opposite of what that interaction was supposed to be. So, Yeah. But I went to two more sessions after that. Yeah. And, you know, and there were some insurance issues that I found. Like, I got a bill after I was very clear with what my insurance covered. And the bill was not the same. So, unfortunately, it was a very horrible, horrible experience. If it makes anyone out there feel better, the way that therapists are trained, like, we are, like, I mean, honestly, we're trained not to take things personal um, at that level, right? Like, if someone decides that they don't want to see you anymore, right? Like that happens. That is a common experience as a therapist. It happens. And so I think, you know, being, if it makes anyone feel better, that it's not something that we are. Their feelings aren't going to be hurt. It's a professional relationship. People might not even be about them. It might be that person found a better fit or that person it moved. I mean, really? Um, Yeah. So I think that that that's a, a easier way to approach it for sure. Yeah. Um, in the cases where we should talk about it, but thankfully I haven't had anything like this happen, but in the cases where people have had mental health professionals who s- overstep their bounds significantly, however that may look. And of course that person can just continue seeing that person, but let's say they wanted to make someone aware of it. Mm-hmm to prevent it. Megan's like, oh my gosh, uh, to prevent that from happening to someone else or accountability again, how would someone go about that? That's heavy. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like, so yeah, if you ever are in a situation where some, you have been, you know, violated in any kind of way, or a, a therapist has been inappropriate with you or yeah, anything like that, um, there's ways to report, um, to the, to the board so that there can be an investigation and they can, they can look into this, you know, this individual and their license and things, even, you know, I think it's just important to, to let it be known or to make a report. Um, I know everyone is in a different place with that. Sometimes it's hard to, to go down that route. Um, but you know, I do, I, if you are in a place where you're like, I'm uncomfortable with what happened or like this, this person is not professional. If the, if there's like something, then that is something you could always do is, is look into the the board for that state that you're in um, and see what their reporting procedures are. I think usually it's online that you can find like a place to um, where you can kind of call or, you know, submit a complaint um, against someone if there's a situation that you need to report. And that's just, something. thankfully I have not had to deal with that, but I'm sure somebody out there has, and it has made them not want to see a mental health professional yeah. due to that experience. And that's concerning because having a mental health professional in my life uh, has been very beneficial. But again, it was a challenge to find the right fit for me. And again, that's not about me being challenging or difficult. It's just we're all human. And like Megan was saying, you may have somebody that was working really well for you. And for example, for me, I had an inaccurate <laughs> diagnosis And then I had the correct diagnosis. So then even though I loved my therapist, once I got a correct diagnosis, the textbook, because my therapist is amazing and gives me textbooks to read because she knows uh, that's something that is helpful for me. I found out that the person that helped me get to that point and share the data needed for my therapist to make the the correct diagnosis was local. 
Um, but then he wasn't taking new clients. But if he was, because <laughs> he wrote the book and I was like, what? He's from here. This is, his. yeah. Um, but it would have been, again, I love my therapist, but he special he wrote the book that helped me and her realize what I actually, the uh, adequate diagnosis. So again, like you may be changing, your diagnosis might be changing, or you might get a correct diagnosis, or you may feel like no one's listening to you. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I hear that from my friends and colleagues all the time, whether we're talking about physical health or mental health, where they're like, I'm having these symptoms and I know it's, this is me. Like, I, I understand how challenging it is when you're struggling with something to like keep data <laughs> uh, and, and stuff like that. Um, but that's how I got my correct diagnosis. Like mm-hmm. my therapist was amazing. And if I, I, you have to advocate for yourself because they can't, it's just like that meant they can't, we can't live with the dog. The client plays a big part in the care. Um, and it's the same thing. It's a team effort. I think like, yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people change and situations change. And, you know, I think that's why, especially if you're seeing, if you're seeing someone kind of longer term, right? Like, you know, it's it's just good to be continually just checking in every once in a while. Like what, how is this working for me? Um, Is this still working for me? Um, Is there something different that I'm needing? Um, I think that's always just, just good questions to be asking yourself. Like you mentioned earlier, what does progress look like? What mm-hmm. does, you know, like I probably measured mine way more than most people because of my background, but it's what I tell clients all the time and and veterinary professionals, like I can call that client and say, how is your animal doing? And they say, fine, post-surgery. Um, we weren't giving the meds because they were sleeping and didn't appear painful. Like how often do we hear that? Which, oh my God, that hurts my heart. Um, because I realized as I got like, as I was a technician longer and as I got into behavior, that client doesn't know what pain looks like. So their animal had serious surgery and their animal was not getting pain meds. Like what? And that, and then we would always say the client's not compliant and blah, 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 blah. Like I was that person. I can't lie like 10 years ago. And now I'm like, that client didn't know what pain looked like. So for example, if you're working with a mental health professional and you don't know the criteria to progress or what progress looks like. And again, your therapist can't tell you, you should have this job or like you, your therapist shouldn't be, I mean, you could talk more about that, Megan, but your therapist shouldn't be like, break up with that dude. Oh yeah. So this was, this this is a big thing for me. So I've had, cause I've had clients before ask me, what should I do? Uh Um, they'll like, they, they'll be in a situation where they want my advice. Um, and uh, that that's a huge thing. Therapists should not be giving you advice in that way, right? Like if you come to them with a, should I uh, break up with this person? Should I stay with this person? That is not what they're, they're not there to tell you one way or the other. And they shouldn't be. Um, if you have a therapist that's telling you how to, what decisions you need to make in your life, then that is a problem that is not professional. Um, and so you know, and I had people before ask me, you know, questions on what I think or like what I think they should do. And it's like, even if I do personally have thoughts on it, um, you know, that's not my place or my position to be telling that person what I think they should do. It really is about helping them to think through what each of those things means to them. So a lot of times I would pull way back from that question and dig into like, what does it look like on this side? And what does it look like on this side? And help them kind of just think through it in in that way and have them come to that decision because it is not uh, appropriate for a, a therapist to be telling you like, you should make this decision with your life. And I think that's something that sometimes I could see, I'm sure I could see me getting upset like, before I knew as much being like, I just want to fucking feel better. Tell me what I have to do. Cause I'm a very direct direction. And I realized, so that was my bad. Cause that's not what therapy, <laughs> that's not what therapy is. Uh, like, just tell me what the fuck to do. I can follow directions. I'm motivated. <laughs> like I, I, I obviously have had a very long, um, mental health struggle. M- many of us have, I'm 38. I've learned a lot as I've gotten older, but I, I know for a fact that that's how I approached therapy a lot, a long time ago. Like sick, you're smart. You're good at this. Tell me what the fuck to do. Thank you. And that is not just like, it's not dog. It's not training. I'm not going to tell a client, 
do this, do this, do this. I'm there to coach, support, and give their dog or cat healthy coping mechanisms versus, you know, and that's what therapy is essentially. Like, I, my therapist can't tell me what to do, but like Megan said, we can, she can help me back up, reflect, approach it, think what's best for me. And then if it's something that's struggling or a hard thing to, to, to deal with, we've been working on a foundation of teaching me healthy coping mechanisms because guys, like my therapist says, <laughs> life is good and bad. And it's all we need to like really recognize like when we're in the good, feel the good. When we're in the bad, it's OK to feel the bad. That's life. That's just what it is. Um, and just recognizing our emotional states and being aware of them. And that has been something that whew, has been like life changing for me. Like I totally told my therapist after like two years that I was like, you're amazing. And you've helped me a lot. <laughs> that is great. I love that. Uh, well, I just got my VTS in behavior. Um, so that was, uh, it was, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> a whole uh, episode on that one. <laughs> But there's a lot of challenges uh, that came with that, especially, you know, having minimal to no professional support uh, when it came to obtaining my hours and and doing all of all of these things that are really massive and huge. And um, throughout this process, I've had a therapist. And again, those things may not be related. But for me personally, you know, it helped me a lot. And it's helped me a lot as far as like my job doesn't define me and all this. This is a whole nother. I'm sharing my stuff. Um, but I think a lot of animal welfare people can relate to that because we identify, which I'm totally fine with. Y'all know I'm a proud as hell vet tech uh, and behavior consultant. And I do identify with my job because it is a big part of my life. But I identify it with it on a healthier level now. I feel like maybe, you know, six years ago, I that's all I identified as. I didn't I- identify as a tattoo enthusiast and a hair color enthusiast and a trail runner. Now I'm identify as more than just my job. Six years ago, just identified as my job, not the healthiest thing. And I'm sure (laughs) none of you out there can relate to that. (laughs) So me and Megan are very pro therapy. And I know we talked a little bit about some common red flags, which I'm sure we all knew if we experienced any of those in our gut that they Mm -hmm. felt weird. And that's another thing. Like, if you feel weird or uncomfortable in your gut, that's cool. We're going to just find another person. And like Megan said, the one positive of the pandemic, it's a horrible thing, um, but it made telehealth way more accessible, which I think, thankfully, in vet med, we're starting to embrace because it's a very helpful tool. Um, it's obviously very helpful to touch the animal as well. I'm not discrediting that. It's just it it is a very helpful tool. And when it came, when I met my therapist, it was the middle of the pandemic. So we met virtually safely for the first year or two. And now I'm a very, I like to be with the person in the room. Everyone's again, this is my preference. So we, we meet in person. Um, so the good news is therapy is becoming more and more accessible and there are ways for us to be able to afford it with the sliding scales and the other things that, that Megan mentioned. And there's so many Online therapy services, which although my experience was negative with the one, that's just one experience and one organization. Um, there's there's just so many and a lot of good things are happening um, for mental health. So and I know Megan talked a little bit about what a routine. So, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. So we talked about what a routine intake looks like. And obviously this looks different for everybody. But as far as I know, we discussed creating goals and what those look like. And having criteria and having you and the therapist discuss like what your goals are and what progress looks like because it's different for everybody. But as far as after intake, what does a therapy session usually look like? What what can somebody expect? Because again, it wasn't what I thought to start where they just tell me what to do to get better. <laughs> uh, but I learned you guys that that was silly on my part, but that's totally what I thought at first. Yeah, well, that's, um, so it's a little tough to answer just because everything, it can be so different, just depending on the type of therapy and, and things like that. Um, 
So I would say definitely intake tends to be very, like we said, um, you know, question, answer kind of focus, like getting that baseline, understanding that person's experience and things like that, like just getting some of those you know, health and medical things out of the way at the beginning. And actually some places do have like an intake therapist where they might have like a, like if it's a larger place, I've seen this before where they'll have maybe someone do an intake for you. Um, that's like a intake therapist. And then, uh, they might talk a little bit about goals in the first session. Like, what are you interested in, um, kind of working on? And if, you know, they might then at that point, based on what you say, filter you or kind of assign you then to a therapist that could in that organization that like might be a good fit. Um, so I have seen like people do that before. I don't, I mean, yeah, there's benefits and drawbacks to that. I think of course, um, because, you know, it's like having to like back to back, like, it's you do an intake and then you kind of have to like meet another person. That's like two people right, right away. The intake, you know, kind of a lot of the question to answer stuff. And then usually this, like, once you kind of get past that intake, it, there really should be a focus on um, developing the treatment plan and what that is. Uh, and, you know, that isn't something that's always like, not everybody does it in the same exact like time frame or order or anything, but it is something that early on in your experience in therapy, you should be talking about um, identifying like what are the goals for therapy. I know it's kind of strange because it's, you know, when you're talking about emotions, um, you're talking about like, you know, I want to feel less depressed or I want to feel happy, right? It's, it's hard really to you know, have a very specific, you know, definition of what that means. Um, and so a lot of times in therapy, there might be kind of questions around trying to understand a little bit about what, like, what does that mean to be happy? What does that look like? Um, and what would be a, like, a realistic expectation around that, right? Like, we're not happy 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. It's not like you're, you're unhappy and then you're happy, you know, you're depressed and now everything's okay. It doesn't work that way. So really thinking about, you know, what would that mean? You know, trying to get ideas of what does it look like now, like out of, you know, throughout the day, like in, in a day or in seven days, or, you know, how many, how many days out of seven days do you feel this way? Or so a lot of times it's trying to like understand what, what's going on now, like what, trying to like put some measurement around it uh, to some extent to understand where you're starting and then to think about what that could look like in the future. And I know it's hard. It's like one of the hardest things, honestly, with, with therapy, because it's not always, it's not always a linear process where it just goes in one direction and you're just always like getting better. I don't know. It doesn't always look that way. Progress is not linear. Wolf culture yes. has an amazing, which is a dog training uh, organization that sells clothing. And they have a wonderful shirt that says progress is not linear because again, as humans, sometimes we think what I thought where I go to therapy, shit gets better and it's not. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> definitely not. It's not Sometimes it gets simple. worse. gets worse before it gets better yes. sometimes. <laughs> like, you know, and you know, just, I think talking about those things and understanding a little bit that there are going to be times when it feels like your things are getting worse or you're going backwards or, you know, and that's just part of that just happens. Uh, and that's life. So, you know, with the, with developing a treatment plan, that's generally something you would expect coming after an intake is like coming up with what is it that we're doing here and what do we want to be working towards? Um, and that's always developing and changing and, things can get added and take it off. And the goal really with a treatment plan is so that like it is followed up on too, that it's not something that is just created and early on, and then you never revisit it. The goal is to eventually, you know, and however long, maybe in a few months you come back to it and you say, okay, let's talk about what we set out to do and where are we at and what do we need to change? What do we need to keep going? Um, and reassessing that every once in a while, that's, really the goal um, is to have it be this living document that that moves with you throughout. It's not supposed to be this thing that you just create and you forget about. Um, so ideally like that. Um, and therapy, like when it comes to the experience though, it's, I think it's just so different. Generally sessions, you know, that I've done before are the 50 minute kind of you know, the therapist hour type <laughs> sessions. Um, but I, I'll, uh, different therapies are different. So um, 
some different people do different types of therapy. They may have different lengths of time that they do things for, um, or, you know, a different way that things look. Um, but yeah, generally that's kind of like timing wise and also like the frequency of meeting can look really different as well. I know generally when I first, um, ideally for me, this is just like my personal preference and I think a lot of other therapists can kind of agree, but I think when I like first getting to know someone, um, and develop, you know, in that kind of initial developing the treatment plan and stuff, I think I really enjoy meeting with people on a weekly basis, um, when that's going on. And then, you know, it's okay. Like it's okay to kind of step to bi-weekly or whatever. Um, it just kind of depends on what is needed for, for that individual. But I think in the beginning, kind of having frequent contact with that person on a weekly basis, I love that because for me, it's hard if I'm seeing them once every like three weeks to really kind of get somewhere in the, get traction, you know, in those first few weeks, but the frequency, it looks very different just depending on what uh, the situation is. So, um, but also another thing too, that is like really important, I think too, is uh, I always talk about termination early um, with in the, in the very first couple of sessions as well. Like I bring up that idea of termination because, you know, therapy isn't, necessarily meant to be this like permanent fixture in your life. Um, it really is meant to be a support. Um, and th- that eventually is is not there. Um, and so I, I think it's good to talk about that in the beginning too, with your therapist and understand a little bit about like, you know, what, what would termination look like? Or how would we know when we're at a place, you know, um, where we would need to terminate? Um, I've had clients before that I would just love to like see them for the rest of my life on a weekly basis. They're wonderful. Um, but at that point it would just be like, you know, like if, if you naturally come to a place where you feel like the goals have been met um, and you guys are at that kind of at that level where you're like, you both feel good about progress um, to keep going and keep meeting uh, at that frequency, you know, that maybe you were meeting at before uh, at that point, you have to really think about like, who's this serving at this point, you know, like, and what's the purpose? Like, are we meeting just because like, we like being around each other and we're like friends kind of at right. this point, right? Like, it's important to think about that. Um, and that's why the goals and the treatment plan really do matter because it's thinking about what are these goals and these things that we're working on and how do we know when we've gotten there? Um, so that was a lot. <laughs> no, I think that that was a really great, and I'm glad you mentioned um, when I think of term, I just made but, uh, so I am a nineties <laughs> kid, but I, I, that is something that my therapist brought up early on again, cause it's just a normal part. Cause there's such, especially if you've never been in therapy and therapy and mental health, addressing mental health is a, still really a very new thing for our society. Um, and a lot of us have preconceived notions and biased about what therapy is, especially Again, if they people who are older than me and have different were had different values and things taught to them, like not sharing your emotions, you know, we all know this. We're getting better at being being able to share our emotions and that mental health is health, all of these important things. But that has not always been the case. So I think it's really important when you're working with a mental health professional to have these discussions of what therapy is, which is having treatment and goals and what does that look like for that individual and understanding that the goal of this is not forever. It's not because you're not great, (laughs) but yeah, kind of just some realistic expectations of what therapy is. Because again, before I was in therapy, you know, from what I see on social media and in the media, because really we're creating biases all the time and we are products of our environment and what we're exposed to realistically um, like my idea of therapy when I was 17 and what it is now, woo, which is great because I'm growing older, but you guys get what I mean. Um, so thank you so much for kind of sharing a little bit about first steps, how to some tips on how to find a good therapy therapist and um, also understanding that it's OK if you don't hit it off or feel comfortable with your first therapist. Um, and I know I just shared my experience where I found one that was great. She left and I tried five others <laughs> and then, uh, I I found that person again. Um, but again, all those other people were, I didn't have any scary unprofessional stuff happen. It's just, we were, well, with the exception of that dog thing, uh, it wasn't scary. It was just, 
I cried a lot that day because I was yeah. already struggling. And I was like, I told Matt, my partner, I was like, okay, so I don't know. So, um, but I can't imagine that's probably really hard if you're struggling and then that's what happens in your therapy session. So yeah. Um, know those red flags, advocate for yourself. Like I always say, we should be advocating for ourselves. Like we're advocating for the animals that we work with and love because you matter y'all. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your amazing knowledge, Megan, and we will definitely have you back for another mental health matters with Megan Breedlove, Dr. Megan Breedlove. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you to everyone for listening and remember you're enough, you matter, and you are loved.